Morning. It's so. As Christians, we know we ought to pray. So I'm not going to try this morning to convince us that we ought to pray. I hope that conviction is already present in our hearts. So as we look at Psalm 6, which is a psalm, a prayer of a psalm, and we consider David's prayer, I want us to be encouraged to pray, to be hopeful in prayer, and to be eager to pray in any situations, in every circumstance. So may the Lord fill us with faith and cast away unbelief and make us a hopeful people. Now if you notice Psalm 6, the Psalter editors don't give us any information as to why this psalm was written. What was the occasion? If you look at other psalms, like Psalm 51, we know why David penned that psalm. Or there are other such psalms that let us know what's going on. Why was this psalm written? Why was this prayer made? What was going on behind this prayer? But if, when you look at Psalm 6, we're not told anything. It's a psalm that was meant to be sung. It was written to the choir master. And it was meant to be sung with stringed instruments. And according to the Sheminit, a kind of tune. It was written by David. But we don't know why. And if we try, we get curious, read the psalm and try and reconstruct what may have been going on Depending on our creativity, we may come up with different reasons. For example, and this is just me being creative, this is not truth, all right? Psalm, uh, this psalm, verses 1 to 3, David may be praying for a physical healing. He says, heal my bones. I, I'm in pain. Based on verses 4 to 5, he might be having some form of an anxiety attack. He's real serious here. His soul is troubled. He says, deliver my life. He thinks he's going to die. Based on 6 or 7, it might just be depression of some kind. And then, based on verses 8 through 10, it might even be his enemies like Saul, as he was chasing him, or maybe his son later in his life, or other enemies we don't know why David wrote this psalm. What was going on? But that's a blessing to us. Because when we don't have an example, we don't have a reason, it, becomes, it serves as an example, and we can use this psalm as an example of how to pray for any circumstance. And that's a blessing because we don't know exactly when to use this kind of a prayer. 
So my aim this morning is for us to learn from David how to pray. And not all of David's life, he's, done, he's written many psalms and he's prayed many times. But just from this psalm, what can we learn concerning prayer? Three truths. Pray honestly. Pray relationally. And pray confidently. So th- that's the layout of the land and that's what we're going to do this morning. The notable lesson that we can learn from this psalm is to pray honestly. David pours out his heart before God in all honesty. Look at verse 1. Do not rebuke me in your anger. (coughs) Do not discipline me in your wrath. He does not hide his feelings. He just tells it like he feels it. There's no pretense in his prayers. David saw a connection between his pain, his suffering, and God's permission. Because he's talking to God. He's talking to God and saying, God, do not rebuke me in your anger. He has no doubts about God's sovereignty over everything in his life including his suffering. He also viewed the suffering as a consequence of the fall and as a consequence of his sin. And thus, it was not just that God was allowing suffering in his life, but he saw the suffering in his life as a discipline from God. At the same time, he views this disciplining as not as a punishment from an evil deity, but as a child who is disciplined by their father. He understands that God is both just and merciful. And he pleads with God that his discipline would be an act of mercy and not an act of justice. Rebuke me not in your anger. If God were to do that, he would be right to do so. Because God is just. And we have wronged him. And his wrath is rightly upon all wickedness and lawlessness. And so David is honest. and He asks God, God, rebuke me not in your anger. Your discipline Let it not be an act of justice. So what sort of prayers did David make in his his honest praying? First, he asked God for grace and healing because this discipline was too much for him to bear. Look at verse 2. It was just too much for him to bear. Now, I'm confident that none of us would enjoy God's discipline in the moment. Is that, a, is that fair to say? Anyone enjoys it in the moment? Even though we know that it does good to us in the long run, it hurts when we're walking through suffering. And David prayed honestly and asked God for grace. 
he asked for deliverance. Look at verse 4. David asked God to save his life. To David, this discipline, whatever it was, whatever the suffering was, and we don't know what it was, but to him it felt like it was going to be the death of him. It felt like his life was being taken away from him. And I think it's the boldest part of his prayer. He says, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. That's fine. We may have made those prayers before. Save me. That's fine. But then David says, in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? And you think about that, you wonder what's going on here. Some Christians may look at David and say, hey David, that, that's bad theology. What are you doing, David? What are you saying? And then you may even quote Paul to him and say, to be away from the body is to be with the Lord. To die is gain. Now, let's be certain. The psalmist's theology about death is good. <laughs> right, throughout the psalms, not just David, but all of them, all the psalmists, they have a pretty decent theology about death, dying, and the afterlife. They may not be as clear as the New Testament authors are, particularly about the intermediate state. So for the Old Testament saints, you die and you're asleep until the resurrection. And the New Testament saints, well, you die, your body's asleep, with your soul's with Jesus, and then we'll be resurrected and be united. So they're not very far off. Revelation becomes clear over time. And the New Testament, we have some clarity about what happens to us. And we have more hope. We know if we drop dead this moment, we go and we're with Jesus. And then we await the resurrection of our body. So David is not off base here. But then why does he say what he says? That's troublesome to me. What does he mean when he tells God, who's going to praise you in Sheol? David here is not describing sleeping away with hope. What David is describing is his feeling of doubt, his feeling that God no longer has favor on him. His suffering was so intense that he's wondering, does he have any assurance that he's okay with God because he understands he's a sinner. And, and, and he's dealing with faith, doubt, you know, it, teeter-tottering. And he's wondering, is God acting in justice, in justice toward him? And would, is his name not in the book of life? Would he be cast away to Sheol without hope? 
And if that were to happen, then he will not be able to praise God. And that's worrisome for him. And so he's dealing with real questions. Questions that some of us ask at times concerning ourselves. Am I really saved? Why am I dealing with this? Why is this going on in my life? David felt that way. And he brought that before God honestly. And that is a real bold prayer because David is concerned that God's discipline toward him might be an act of justice. And he might be cast away forever. That was a real concern. In his suffering, he felt like he no longer enjoyed the favor of God. His suffering was brutal. And he wondered, does this have eternal ramifications for him? But he voiced that fear before God. And the third honest prayer that he makes, you can see that in verses 6 to 7. He brought his tears and his weeping before God and he said, God, see my tears, see my weeping. I'm miserable. This situation makes me miserable and he brought that before God. He made his burden clear to God. Again, sometimes as Christians, we just struggle with this stuff because we remember Jesus' words where he says, God knows everything before those words are in your mouth and you wonder, should I be telling God what's going on in my life? Does he not already know? Should I be telling him that I'm, I'm weeping? This hurts? And we wonder, is that okay? But then what Jesus said was in the context of those people who like to make long, pretentious prayers to be seen by others. And he says, don't do that. God already knows, so you come in faith. But it's the Bible is full of examples of honest praying. And this psalm that we're looking at this morning is one example of that honest prayer. You tell God, God, I'm crying. I'm weeping. That's the point of sackcloth and ashes. Fasting. Why do we do that? Is that a way to throw a tantrum before God? No. We're, we're demonstrating our pain and our struggle and we're showing it to God and saying, God, it hurts. Lord, answer me. And that's what's going on. David is earnest. This is not a means of turning God's ear or tuning him to your channel. It's not twisting God's arm. It's just earnestness. It's showing God, God, this hurts. My life is painful right now. Would you see my pain? And would you answer me? It is not improper to weep before God. It demonstrates our dependence. It demonstrates our earnestness. So in in your pain and suffering, like David, pray honestly and earnestly, asking God for grace and deliverance. What happens when the hand of God is upon you for a long time? It's one thing to suffer for a short while. 
It's another thing to suffer chronically, to suffer for a long time. Everything changes in an instant. That's life. For some people, you've been there. A diagnosis changes everything. An accident changes everything. But then, how do you live under the hand of God that's disciplining you for a long time? Can you pray honestly in those moments and ask God for grace? Endurance is going through suffering while praying to God honestly and asking Him the question, How long, O Lord? How long? And that leads us to our second point. Pray relationally. The danger that Christians face during suffering is the temptation to question God. Under the discipline of God, we no longer see God as good and worthy, but we see Him or we're tempted to see Him as evil and spiteful. We clench our fists and raise our hands to heaven and say, how dare you, God? And friends, there's a vast difference between how dare you and how long, O Lord. The difference between heaven and hell. It is not being impatient to ask God, how long? How long? In Revelation, the souls under the altar ask God that question. How long? How long until you will venge our enemies? How long, Lord? And he wipes away their tears. And, and it's the same thing that's going on here. David asked that question, how long, O Lord? It's a posture of a heart that determines whether that question comes from a grace-seeking, anguished heart or an angry, murmuring, bitter heart. And here's how he prayed. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He recognized the relationship that he had with God. It was a steadfast love relationship. That's the covenant that God made with Israel. And that, if you see prayers in the Bible, that's how they're made. When Abraham prayed to God concerning Lot, he prayed pleading for God's mercy. He knew that God is a merciful God. He recognized that relationship that he has with God. He says, God, you're a merciful God. Would you destroy your city if there were 50 righteous people in there? And he keeps negotiating because he knows that God is merciful. Moses interceded on behalf of Israel. He prayed based on God's honor and glory. What will the nation say? Did you redeem these people to bring them in the wilderness and destroy them? Your name, Lord, will be marred. He, he knew who his God was. He knew his God was glorious. And he did, he did whatever he did for the sake of his name. He knew how to relate to God. And he prayed accordingly. David prays based on God's steadfast love. He says, 
your love towards me cannot be changing. You are always faithful. So save me according to your steadfast love, not according to my deeds. Therefore he could pray boldly. David prays boldly, reminding God that if he were blotted out, if his name was blotted out, then God cannot expect any praise from him. And that wouldn't work out. That doesn't make sense. So obviously this suffering is not meant to last in a way that he would be blotted out. So he was making sure that he realigned his faith, his mind and his heart to know who his God is, to relate to God rightly even under suffering and pain. And he sought God. And you and I likewise can plead to God for mercy and say, send us not to hell, God. Because sometimes suffering could feel that way. Like we're being cast away and the danger of being cast away by God permanently is being put away from His presence. We ask for mercy even though we don't deserve it. David pleads with God to keep him in his steadfast love and not to blot his name out and that is dependence. It's based on a relational truth, knowing how we relate to God. That's why Jesus taught us to pray and say, Our Father, holy is your name. We begin with a relationship. That gives us boldness. We as Christians get to pray in Jesus' name. That's assurance. That's boldness. Ah, you live in a country where there's freedom and things work differently. I come from India. In a country like India, to get something done, you need to know somebody who has power, who has influence, and it's all about who you know. You want to get a gas line to your house, you need to know somebody or you need to pay somebody off. You need to get your driver's license, you need to know somebody or pay somebody off. As Americans, that may seem weird. But to us, all the more it makes sense that we get, we have the year of the creator of the universe and we have a name by which we may go before him, Jesus we don't worry about who we have to go across, who we have to go through, because we have Jesus. And that's what David is teaching us. He knows who his God is. And therefore, he does not say, how dare you, God? But he asks, how long, O Lord? There's a lesson in the suffering. And he wants to learn it. And he asks, how long? That brings us to our third point. Pray confidently. Get verses 8 through 10. David suddenly shifts. His prayer just changes. He tells his enemies, God has heard the sound of my weeping. I love that line. He's heard the sound of my weeping. This is not that loud, noisy cry.
crying when you're suffering. It's that silent tear as well that God hears. Those are prayers. God hears them. As you weep, the sound of that tear goes up in Jesus' name. And it receives audience with the creator of the universe. And David is confident of God's action on his behalf that he warns his enemies. He tells them, God has accepted my prayer. My enemies, you shall be ashamed now. You will be greatly troubled. Earlier, his soul was greatly troubled. Now he warns them that they will be greatly troubled. Now they will turn back. Earlier, he asked God to turn and listen to him. And now his enemies will turn back and they will be put to shame in a moment. Where does that confidence come from? Where does David get that confidence from? He hid in caves. He fought giants. He knows his God. He can pray confidently. How about you? Where does your confidence come from? Can you pray confidently? Where does that come from? Can you pray confidently in suffering? In long-term chronic suffering? Have you ever played peekaboo? The sound of a little child chuckling to know their mommy or daddy is there. But do you recall the first time when a child plays peekaboo? It is scary for the child. Mommy disappeared from their face just before them, just like that. And anxiety is on their face. They're about to cry because this is terrible. And then, those hands move away like the clouds scatter and mommy appears. And then mommy teaches the child to laugh. It's not scary, child. I'm right here. It's an exercise in trust. And soon, the child learns. And the child enjoys this. And like, cover your hands and let's play. I want to see your face again. Children have such great faith. They just want to pull those hands down. They know you're right there. Our problem is we've grown up. Our problem is we've grown up. We don't have that childlike faith. They love peekaboo. But all those short-term sufferings that David went through and that we go through, they serve the same purpose. They're there to train us. They're there to train us that God is in control. His purposes for his people are good and they will bring him glory. He will wipe away every tear, but what about now? There's a difference. You don't see a child that's playing peekaboo throw a tantrum. Their mommy or daddy is gone. But Christians lacking in faith, we do. We throw a tantrum before God and we wonder 
Why is he doing what he's doing? It is hard for us to confidently pray because we're not sure if God will smile on us again when we're suffering. But David knew. That's why he was confident. And our confidence comes from Jesus. Not just a general, we've got Jesus on our side, but very specifically concerning what Jesus is going to do. In Matthew 7 and verse 23, Jesus quotes Psalm 6. This very psalm. Now Matthew 7, that's the last chapter, the three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, towards the very end, as Jesus teaching the people on the Mount about hearing him and obeying him. And he teaches them that they've got to obey him because he is going to be the judge of all. And then he says that there will be people who come to him on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, we've done signs and wonders and miracles in your name. And he says to them, he quotes David in Psalm 6 and verse 8 and says, Depart from me, you workers of evil. We know that. Jesus is going to judge and take away from before his presence, throw away everyone who's not genuine. And likewise, there are other promises that he makes on his day of judgment when he appears. And that is why we long for and love his appearing. Sin will be dealt away with. Suffering will be dealt away with. Pain will be dealt away with. Death will be done away with. The devil and all his followers will be done away with. Every enemy of Jesus will be done away with. For now, we're just waiting for that day when his enemies will be made his footstool. And that's where our confidence comes from. We can go through all of life, even if every single day from now until his appearing would include suffering. Because we know on that day, those hands come off. And oh, the roar of the chuckling of all the saints when we see the face of Jesus appearing. What a glorious sound that will be. Because we know that everything we're going through right now is just waiting. Is waiting for those hands to be mowed away. That glorious peekaboo. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises we have in Jesus. One, that we can pray to you. We have your ear for every circumstance that we go through. But more so even that because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross and because he's saved us, that everything that we're going through, all the pain, all the suffering, all our struggle has an expiry date and we will rejoice and we can have boldness knowing confidently that we will rejoice and we can speak to our pain, our suffering, our sin and 
even death. Depart from me, all you evil, because that's what you're going to do. That's what Jesus is going to do, and we love that. So, Lord, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus, and may we pray boldly with hope in Jesus' name.